Welcome to episode 196 of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast, the second show for the week of August 26th, 2012. My name is David, and I'm a Fred. On this second episode of the Fredcast for the week, we've got a great interview with Mike Magnuson, the author of a new book called Bike Tribes, and I'm telling you, you are in this book. Following that, I've got a number of reviews of products and services that we've been checking out just for Fredcast listeners over the last couple of months, plus Podsafe cycling music. So sit back, relax, and if you're riding your bike, hammer just a little bit harder, because here comes the second episode of the week of the Fredcast. Hey, fellow Freds, welcome back to another episode of the Fredcast. I hope you've had a great week, and I hope you enjoyed episode 195. It was a long one, uh, lots of news and timelines, and yes, opinions, and a little bit of a rant as well. And so I want to thank all of you who emailed me and who, uh, who tweeted and who commented on the blog, because overwhelmingly, uh, you have supported what I had to say on the show and I really appreciate all of you welcoming me back as well. Now, this show is going to stand in contrast to the earlier one that I did this week, because while that one was very newsy and heavy and opinion-filled, uh, this one is all about a great book, some neat products, and a service that I know uh, many of you are using and many of you are interested in. But before we get to any of that, it is the time of the show when we like to thank our favorite sponsor, Jensen USA at jensenusa.com slash thefredcast. Jensen USA has a great selection of cycling products for every cycling discipline. They've got great prices and special deals every day of the week, and they have unparalleled customer service. Now, you remember earlier this week, I was telling you about the Shimano Gravity components that they had on sale. Well, right now, they've got a great sale going on RockShox forks for your mountain bike. I'm seeing prices from 30 to 50 plus percent off on some really great products, even up to 60% and more. Go ahead and check it out. They're at jensenusa.com slash thefredcast or Go to www.thefredcast.com and click on the Jensen USA link on the right-hand side of the page. Again, whether you're looking for products for your mountain bike, your cyclocross bike, your road bike, your fitness bike, if it's got two wheels and pedals, Jensen USA has everything you're looking for and their customer service can't be beat. Go ahead and check them out, jensenusa.com slash thefredcast. We thank Jensen USA so much for their support and continuing support of the Fredcast, and we thank you for supporting Jensen USA. But before we get started with all of that, I realized that it's been a long time since I've talked on the show 
about how to listen to the show and about the variety of things that I'm involved in when it comes to cycling. So if you'll give me just a couple of moments of your time, for those of you who've been longtime listeners, you already know a lot of this. But for those of you who may be new listeners, and by the way, I love getting your emails. Hey, I started at episode number one and I'm making it all the way up to the current episode. Now, while this one is called episode number 196, you have to realize that when you include the daily tour episodes, which are in the feed for the Fredcast, when you include all of those, when I was doing daily coverage from the Tour de France or uh, the Amgen Tour of California, you're talking about close to 300 episodes of the Fredcast. So for those of you who are starting at episode number one, I give you a lot of credit. That's a lot of David to listen to. So, But thank you so much and welcome to the Fredcast family. Let's talk a little bit about how to listen to the Fredcast because there's a variety of different ways. Now, the way that the majority of you listen to the Fredcast is by subscribing via iTunes. But did you know that there are two different editions of the Fredcast on iTunes? There's the regular MP3 edition that will play on virtually every player that you can imagine. But there's also the AAC enhanced version of the show. I sometimes call that the E Fredcast. And what I really like about that is that there may be some of you who don't want to listen once I get started talking about a particular recall, or maybe you don't care about professional cycling. Maybe after the last show, you really don't care about professional cycling. Or maybe I'm talking about bike share and it's not in your town, so it really doesn't matter to you. The great thing about the AAC files is that they have chapters. And so if you're listening on the right device, this could be your computer via iTunes, this could be on your iPod or your iPhone or your iPad. If you're listening on the right device and if you're subscribed to the enhanced AAC file, then all you have to do is click Next or choose the chapter you want to listen to, and boom, you jump right to that part of the file, and you're off and running. It is a great way to listen to podcasts. When I listen to other podcasts, I always subscribe to the AAC Enhanced Edition because I just find it a great way to listen. One of my favorite pa- uh, podcasts is The Matcast by Adam Christensen. Uh, Adam is a guy I've met. We talk every once in a while via Twitter. He does a great show. And I love listening to his enhanced show because sometimes he gets into the weeds and things that aren't important to me. And so I can skip right through that. My apologies, Adam. But sometimes he talks about things and he's way deep in the weeds and things that I'm interested in. And so that's a chapter that I want to skip right to. So that's a great way to listen. Now, for those of you who don't want to listen uh, or subscribe via iTunes, and I know there's plenty of you who are not iTunes people, Realize that you can find the show on the Zoom Marketplace, you can find it on Stitcher Radio, you can find it in a lot of the variety of different places that are out there on the internet, but you can also go to the Fredcast website. And on the Fredcast website, I offer you a number of different ways to listen. First of all, in every show, uh, within the individual page for that show, right underneath the logo, the Fredcast logo, is a little player embedded right in the show. And all you got to do is click the little play button. It'll load right in your browser and start playing on your computer. It's a great way to listen. Or all the way up at the top of the page is a big green and white button that says listen now. And that brings up what's called the poo-poo player, P-U-P-U, like a Polynesian appetizer. And so if you click on that listen now button, you can listen right in that player. And what's great is that's the entire feed. So you can choose 
from among different shows or within the show notes for each show, again, on the page, you can scroll all the way down and there's another link that says how to listen to the Fredcast. And it gives you the links uh, for the iTunes MP3 subscription, the link for the enhanced AAC. It gives you a link to download the MP3 file directly to your computer. It also gives you a link for subscribing via just a generic podcatcher or RSS reader application. And then, I don't know why I still do this, but I do. Every once in a while, we get a couple of downloads through it. I've given you links for listening with real audio. Anybody out there still listening via real audio? And also to listen via Windows Media Player. Now, those two get very little play, but I'll leave them there because I know a lot of you have been listening for a long time and using those methods. So that's how you can listen to the Fredcast. But beyond the Fredcast, I do some other things. And one of the things I talk about here on the show a lot is uh, a show that I've been doing almost since the beginning of the Fredcast, and it's called the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. Now, we do the Spokesman pretty regularly, and we try to do it every other week. We miss a week or two here or there, depending on our schedules or trade shows or what have you. But for the most part, we do the Spokesman every other week on Saturday mornings. And we release it usually on Saturday afternoons. And sometimes, and I'm working on this, sometimes we also will record it live via Ustream. Now, what's the Spokesman? Well, the Spokesman is a group of people who are podcasters, uh, media writers, uh, people who have been involved in marketing and manufacturing of bikes and bike products, and other people that are associated with the bicycle industry who come from a position of knowledge. And so we talk about a wide variety of topics. It's interesting. I went back and I listened to the first episode of The Spokesman a while back, and I noticed that our very, very first topic was, I hate to say it, doping. And yet, Tomorrow, when we record The Spokesman again, guess what's going to be on our agenda? Uh, But we talk about a lot of other topics. We talk about um, new products in the industry. We talk about new trends. We talk about um, just anything related to cycling. And it's, it's, think of it the way that you and your friends, when you sit around and talk about cycling, whether it's before a ride, during a ride, sitting around the coffee shop or the bar after a ride, and you're just sitting around and discussing your opinions about particular topics. It's a fun show to do. I've become really good friends with everybody on the show, uh, and it it's something that I know a lot of people really enjoy listening to. And what I've noticed over the last couple of years as we've become more regular in our recordings of it is the popularity has really started to grow. So go ahead and check that out. You can find information on that in the show notes for today's show or simply go to www.the-com spokesmen.com, the-spokesmen, with an E, dot com. Uh, It's a great show. Really enjoy doing that. Please go ahead and check it out. It's a lot of fun. And one other thing that I do, and it sort of dovetails with the spokesman a little bit, is that for the past several years, I've been honored and privileged to have been asked by Interbike, the uh, trade show here in the United States, the cycling trade show, to host uh, originally just their videos going around to a variety of different booths at the show 
to provide a taste of what's new and innovative and interesting at Interbike to those of you who unfortunately can't make it to the show. And so we go around to a variety of different booths. We see a new product. We interview uh, the people, hopefully the founder or the designer or somebody very close to the product. We edit it together and then we put it up on the internet where it lives forever. Last year and this year as well, I was also honored to have been asked to host a live streaming show we do every year called Interbike TV's Good Morning Interbike. Think of it like the Today Show or, yeah, Good Morning America, duh, uh, and, but just around the Interbike trade show. We're going to expand the show a little bit more this year. Last year, I think it was about 45 minutes or an hour. We're going to go beyond that for sure, and we're going to try to bring in a taste of the trade show, new products, athletes. We're going to talk about events surrounding the show, how to do Interbike, if you will. And it's just going to be a lot of fun. Go to innerbike.com. There'll be links there. You'll be able to watch that live and you'll also be able to watch the in-booth videos. And talking about the spokesman, every year, and we've been doing this for, I think, four or five years now, we do live editions of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. We do it at the end of the show after the beer has been flowing and we all sit around and we review what we've seen at the show, what's new, what's exciting, what's hot, what we don't think is going to work. Uh, and it's a no hold bar holds barred way of just reviewing the trade show. It's a lot of fun. It's going to be live streaming. We're going to be doing it uh, Wednesday and Thursday of the show. And so that is the, as I look at my calendar, the 19th and 20th of September, and we'll be doing that at roughly 5 p.m. Pacific time, Pacific Daylight time. So that's West Coast time here in the United States, and we'll be streaming that live. And then every year we record that, and we also put that up in the inter, uh, on the interwebs so that you can watch. It's a lot of fun. So just wanted to recap some of those things. That's how you can listen to the Fredcast in all of its various forms. A little bit of information about the spokesman and Interbike TV and about the spokesman live from Interbike. So if you haven't been able to take advantage of all of that, or maybe you just learned about the enhanced edition of the show, I hope that was helpful for you. Well, with that out of the way, it's time to get into the meat of the show. And I've been remiss. This is an interview I did, uh, well, probably more than a month ago. And so my apologies to Mike Magnuson uh, and the folks at Rodale Press I had the opportunity to interview Mike Magnuson, the author of a new book called Bike Tribes, a field guide to North American cyclists. It's a light read, a fun read, something I really enjoyed. And so it was my pleasure to sit down at my computer one afternoon and have the opportunity to spend some time talking to the author, Mike Magnuson. On the line with me today is Mike Magnuson. Mike is the author of the new book, Bike Tribes, a field guide to North American cyclists. Mike, welcome to the Fredcast. Hey, it's nice to be here. Hey, before we get started, Mike, just for those who don't know, give us a little bit of, of your history. How uh, how long have you been in the bike biz and, and, and what would people know you for? Well, you know, I, I'm not really a, a business kind of a cyclist, if that makes any sense. I've been a writer for many years, and I've been uh, riding bikes since I was a young tot. And uh, I've, I've published novels and stuff, and I've been uh, on the masthead at Bicycling Magazine for about 10 years now. I, I write features and stuff. A few years back, I wrote a, a book called Heft on Wheels, which was uh, about my experience going from a 300-pound 
guy smoking cigarettes to somebody who was about 180 and racing bicycles. Wow, that's quite the yeah. accomplishment. It was quite the accomplishment. I'm I'm still in pain from the experience to this day. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, it's funny because I got an email today from a listener saying something pretty similar that uh, he had gotten into cycling uh, as a way to lose weight and uh, that he had lost, I think, 50 or 60 pounds and he has more oh, to yeah. go, but he really attributes cycling to uh, to really helping him turn his life around. Yeah, and this is, you know, the, the stories of people who've lost weight in cycling are, are innumerable. Yeah. Part of it is that... Uh, you know, there's there's racing, which is really an intense activity. But for the most part, cycling is a moderate form of exercise that just elevates elevates the heart rate a little bit, and that burns fat. And uh, I mean, so many people have lost huge amounts of weight riding bikes. It's a it's a great thing. Absolutely. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about your book, Bike Tribes. And but before we really get into uh, the details of it, I, I'm I'm curious what what was sort of the the inspiration for writing this book. Well, you know, I've uh, I've often kind of fancied myself to be an anthropologist. It didn't work out in life that I became one. <laughs> I, I minored in anthropology when I was in college. I was an English major. And uh, I just got to talking with people, and we were thinking about, like, all the different types of cyclists there are and how each type of cyclist seems to fall into a group. They hang out in groups often, and they seem to exhibit a bunch of general tendencies. So... The idea was that we put together a book that kind of elicited these tendencies, not in a, you know, not in a mean way or anything like that, but then we, we, we sort of like a, I wanted to put together a book of anthropology written maybe in fictional form that was funny at the same time. You know, it's funny because as I read the book, I was thinking about like an Audubon guide to birds or something, right? This is, this is their plumage and this is the sounds that they make and this is where they frequent. It kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, that was kind of the idea. And, and oddly enough, when I grew up, we used to have all those. We had the Roger Tory, Roger Tory Peterson Field Guide to Bird and Animal Scats and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Although, let's not do one of those about cyclists, okay? No, let's not. <laughs> Although there's some great ways that scats are involved sometimes. Yeah, no but... kidding, right? So, um, so uh, give everybody a sense of what they will read about when they're going through this book. Well, the, the book's divided into various types of cyclists. They have recreational riders, there's different kinds of racers, mountain bikers, single speeders, people who ride vintage bikes, people who ride beach cruisers. And uh, it's illustrated, too, by the great Danica Novgorodov, and they're, they're just great illustrations. So the, the way it works is we'll have a like a shop owner or mechanic, and uh, I... I um, the, there's a there's a kind of fictional story about a person who is a shop owner, a mechanic, a Category 3 racer, and so forth. And uh, maybe there'll even be two or three of these stories. And then there's a little commentary on what these kinds of folks are in a general sense. We put together the book by uh, sending out uh, several hundred surveys uh, to different cyclists, and they filled out these surveys, and then I... I, I it wasn't a data survey. They wrote essays because I'm an English professor, so the survey required people to write, mm-hmm. which uh, I will point out got a lot of complaints. I'm when sure. <laughs> filled out the surveys. So I took the stories everybody told me or wrote out for me, and I kind of combined them into a composite character that represented everybody who had made a comment for it. So they're kind of entertaining little stories is what they are with uh, illustrations and then little uh, entertaining essays to wrap it all up. You know, you're talking about the shop owner and the mechanic and, and the racers. And what was kind of cool is as you read the book, 
think about think about it like a Venn diagram. The way these these diagrams sort of these circles come together and and cross and intermingle in interesting ways, and and that happens a lot in the cycling world, doesn't it? Oh yeah, definitely. And it's sort of in the uh, in the book itself. I mean, I never named the town, but it all sort of uh, centers around an unnamed town that where cycling is a big thing. So the cyclists kind of know each other, and and any 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 community where there's cycling that's what happens is the cycling groups see each other and they often know each other and, and of course at the bike shops is is where they all see each other that's definitely the hub of all activity yeah it's it's funny i mean i've it, it, for any long length of time i've lived in san diego la and now park city utah and i could see elements of each of those places uh in the book as i was reading it so so i think that most people will see their town or their city uh within the book as well yeah um, that was I'm, the idea. I'm, I'm curious, uh, uh, first of all, what was interesting is I, as I read the book, I got, I got really close to the end and I'm thinking again, thinking about my days in San Diego, where's the guy in the beach cruiser? And sure enough, there they were. Yeah, there they were. <laughs> I like that. And, and I know that you say in the book that, you know, you're a cyclocross racer, but mm-hmm. you've got to also agree that many of us, although we probably predominantly, uh, would ascribe ourselves to one tribe or another, belong to multiple tribes. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, that's definitely, definitely true. And and the other thing that happens is during the course of somebody's life riding bikes is you can kind of change from one group to the other. I mean, definitely racers, the older they get, tend not to be racers anymore to mm-hmm. the extent that they once were. Part of it is just because your body can't withstand the crashes anymore. Yeah. But, you know, people and people start out, the, the people who've lost weight riding bikes, they can start out, uh, you know, as a, you know, cycling as a mild form of exercise and all of a sudden they're 100 pounds lighter and then they're riding 100 mile events in one day and so forth. And people also uh, commute to work and ride mountain bikes on the weekend. And, and that's kind of the fun of it is, you you know, cycling is really varied and there's there's room for you to do a lot of different things, provided you can have space to store all the bikes you need. Yeah, exactly. So so what tribes do you put yourself in besides cyclocross racing? You know, I find myself to be uh, more like a recreational rider these days than anything else. I, I, uh, I spent uh, just a number of years monitoring my mileage and how many calories I took in every day and eh, da, 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 but just I mean I don't know I, I got burnt out on that so so now I, I don't have uh, you know speedometers I don't have a bike computer on any of my bikes and and I just kind of tool around sometimes I go out for six seven eight hours but usually I go out for an hour and a half at a time and I just kind of enjoy myself and uh, I do cyclocross racing in the fall mostly because I can come you know, in nearly last place and nobody really cares. Everybody's <laughs> happy I'm out there. So and it's fun to see people I used to race with and stuff like that too. Do you, uh, other than your own tribe, do you have a favorite tribe or tribes in the book? You know, my favorite one is uh, something that I've never done is I've really the touring cyclists. Mm. And I, I have not really done much bike touring yet. And this is one of my dreams. Like, I think that Everybody who rides bikes seriously in America dreams about riding your bike across the country. And that is something that I would like to do. I'm 49 years old now, and I'm telling you in the next 10 years, old, 10 years it's going to happen. It's, you just know, gonna... it's, it's funny because since I read the book, I've, I've encountered a few touring cyclists, and I've had a very different 
view of them since reading the book. So I, I, I liked that. And, and I, is that one of the, one of the points here is, um, maybe it's a way of taking disparate groups of the cycling community and saying, Hey, those guys aren't strange or, or just because they're doing something different, we're all cyclists. Oh, I think so. I think for sure. And I think, you know, it, the, if you're really familiar with the cycling community or the many communities, is there tends to be a lot of, you know, friction between them. Like uh, people think that, okay, this is what I do and it's right and this is what you do and it must be wrong. And and I, I really feel that that's a waste of our energies, you know. So one of the ideas when we put together the book at Rodell is we would try to find – the idea was to bring people together rather than to keep them torn apart find common ground as it were so who would you say the book is for is it for the cyclists in order to sort of learn why can't we all get along or is it for our families who don't understand what it is that we do who's your target audience here yeah you know i think that uh i think the target audience is is cyclists to kind of like see themselves Mm -hmm. and i think it's for people also who are uh considering getting into the sport i mean like you go to a bike shop and see all these different kinds of bikes you you know may drive around town and see all these different kinds of cyclists and i think it's a a glimpse into the world that might help people make you know decisions where they'd like to i was going to say put their feet on the ground but get their butt in the saddle i guess is what i meant (laughs) you know there was i would say i mean i'm in a number of these tribes in your book just so you know i mean i started uh, as a as a mountain biker, and I would race downhill, uh, and then I got into uh, charity rides, and then I right. decided I was going to do centuries, and and it's, right. I think the thing that was probably the most poignant to me was I think his name is Mark, and and he's a, he's, he's finishing his first century, uh, yeah. and you know his his fiance is proud of him for finishing it. I, I so identified with that because I remember as if it was yesterday when I finished my very first century. It was the tour to Palm Springs out in Southern California. And I felt exactly the way this guy felt. So I just, it just really resonated with me. You know, and then I went from there and I became the person who needed to do at least a century a month for, for every month in a year. And, um, and you know, now <laughs> thinking about maybe doing uh, 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 you know, double centuries and brevets and all of that. So, I mean, I saw myself a lot in this book. Uh, uh, there was no doubt. And I think the listeners will see themselves a lot in the book as well in various places, probably not in the same place I saw myself, but uh, perhaps in other places as well. Have you had that reaction from people? Yeah. You know, people do see that. And I I think that, you know, if you look at serious cyclists, that's really the group is people who ride centuries. That's Mm -hmm. the biggest group of Mm -hmm. serious cyclists, you know? And uh, yeah, I think, I think, you know, definitely, it resonates, you know, to see yourself in a book like that. Boy, I remember, uh, I remember one time there's challenge centuries too, you know, where you go a hundred and some miles and climb 10, 15,000 feet. Oh yeah. And I remember the first time I did one of those. Oh my God, the pain. I remember finishing at the end and I was just bawling. I was, (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I don't know why. It's just, I was so amazed that I actually had done this thing, you know? I always say on the show that I'm, you know, I try to avoid rides that with, with names like death and kill and pain. And <laughs> I just, but I know that I'll eat my words too at some point. Um, uh, curious, any, any thoughts of a sequel? Because I mean, for instance, Fred's weren't listed in the book. Um, any, any thought of a sequel or what's your next project on the horizon? You know, I, I really feel poorly about not including Fred. Yeah, you should. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
<laughs> There's a couple other big groups I left out too. Recumbent Riders. Yeah. Not in there. And, and that's really sad. And of course, Tandems. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, which is a shame because, you know, that's a huge group in American cycling. And, uh, and you know, I, I like the, the couples who decide to do tandem riding because, you know, if you can do that, your relationship is going to work. That's mm-hmm. what I think. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm working on stuff. I'm also a, a novelist in my spare time. So I've kind of been working for a few years on the uh, Great American White Trash Wisconsin novel. <laughs> which is something about which I'm expert, actually. <laughs> And then, you know, I continue to work on some stuff for Bicycling Magazine. I'd, I'd like to do some more uh, bike tribe kind of things. But, you know, you know, you never know what comes next. When you're a writer, you uh, kind of adapt, you know, to whatever comes next. And when you're a cyclist, I think that's the same thing, too, you know. The point is you got to keep uh, riding, and I have to keep riding, I guess. Absolutely. And, and while I started as a mountain biker, right, what, what ride did I do yesterday? A mountain bike ride. So, you know, we all, it all comes full circle. So, listen, Mike, a pleasure to talk to you, and and it was great reading your book. I'm going to put a link uh, in the show notes and and on our webpage to where people can find the book as well, Uh, and and we'll look forward to to reading more from you in in bicycling and and look forward to that novel coming up soon as well. So thanks so much for joining us on the Fredcast, talking about the the book Bike Tribes, A Field Guide to North American Cyclists. My thanks once again to Mike Magnuson, the author of Bike Tribes a field guide to North American cyclists. And also my apologies to Mike and Rodale for, uh, once again, delaying the release of the interview that uh, has been in the can, as we say, for quite some time. Hey, I recommend Bike Tribes. It's a great book, um, very entertaining, uh, not only for you, but also for that spouse or significant other or those family members who friend, or friends who may not be cyclists and want to learn a little bit more about who we are and what we do. It's a, it's a quick read and a fun read and one that I definitely recommend for that end of summer vacation uh, or just sitting around on a lazy Sunday afternoon. Go ahead and check it out. There's a link in the show notes to where you can find it on Amazon.com. Next up, I want to talk to you a little bit about cameras, specifically helmet cams and to be even more specific, GoPros. We've talked about GoPro here on the show before, and I've told you that uh, I really like the little cameras. A couple of little quirks I've got with them, um, not having anything to do with this coming review, but you know, just about the user interface and knowing at certain times whether or not uh, the camera is actually on and recording and all of that. But leave all of that aside. I like my GoPros. I have two of them, uh, and I, I really like riding with them, whether it's to uh, document potential issues with drivers. Uh, or just to document a beautiful ride. I like riding with a GoPro. What I don't like is riding with a GoPro on my helmet. It just feels kind of weird. Um, my head just feels kind of awkward. And I just don't like having it up there on my helmet. So what I prefer, especially on my road bike, is to put my GoPro on my handlebars. And I've tried several times to do that. In two cases, specifically, it turned out to be very, very unsuccessful. I told you last year when I was in the Dolomites and I was getting ready for my Grand Fondo, literally as I crossed the start line, the GoPro mount broke and I had to spend the entire Grand Fondo with a GoPro in my pocket and I had zero footage as a result. Then earlier this year, as Mrs. Fredcast and I were completing the Salt Lake Century, I was going down a little hill and around a little corner and my GoPro went skidding in the opposite direction as once again, another GoPro handlebar mount broke. In desperation, and admittedly a bit of anger, 
I tweeted out how upset I was about that happening. And a listener, one of you, tweeted back and said, hey, David, you really need to try a RAM mount. And coincidentally, very shortly thereafter, not coincidentally, of course, the folks from RAM sent me an email and a tweet saying, hey, we'd love to, to have you give one of our mounts a try because we think they really are superior. Now, I had heard of RAM before. In case you don't know, RAM stands for round amount. And the reason why it stands for, uh, for that is because the whole system of RAM mounts consists of uh, ball and socket joints. Think about your hip or your shoulder. And by using these round balls uh, and putting them into joints, you're able to articulate a mount into almost any position and you're able to then fix that mount quite securely uh, without, preferably and hopefully, without it breaking. And so the folks at RAM were kind enough to send me one of their units for mounting a GoPro camera onto my handlebars. So here's what came in the package that they sent to me. And by the way, there's links in the show notes to the RAM website and also to uh, Amazon.com where you can find the RAM mount. And by the way, on Amazon right now, this is going for about $27.99. So here's what came in my kit. Uh, the standard U-bolt uh, base, and we'll talk about that in a moment, a double socket arm, and then a custom GoPro adapter, uh, which is mounted to one of these balls that goes into the socket, into that arm that I was telling you about. Also included are two different size U-mounts uh, that could mount to various different rails. And then once you mount them, there's little bolts sticking up. Uh, there's little rubber grommets that go over those to keep you safe from those. Very, very simple to mount the RAM GoPro mount onto your handlebars. You simply uh, put the mount in place, uh, then put the U-bolt on the opposite side of the handlebar and cinch down. Personally, I've got a carbon fiber handlebar, and so I don't like the idea of metal against carbon fiber. So what I did, I had a bunch of those rubber strips that oftentimes come with uh, bike computers and sensors and things like that. And so I wrapped that around the handlebar first, with a little bit of sticky tape, and then put the mount and the U-bolt over that. And so it mounts to the handlebar quite securely. Uh, and then uh, because of the little thumb screw that is on the standard RAM mount arm, you're then able to, as I said earlier, articulate the uh, mounting system in virtually any orientation that you would like. And then it's got the standard uh, GoPro mount, uh, but it's in the uh, RAM mount uh, what looks to me to be a resin plastic mix, which gives it a, a lot more um, firmness, uh, uh, and it also seems to give it a lot more durability than the more brittle mounting system that comes with the GoPro camera. So I mounted this onto my handlebars, and I've taken uh, many rides now with this on my handlebars using the GoPro camera, and um, actually I found two things. One, guess what? The GoPro has indeed remained attached to my handlebars. I consider that a win. And I'm not really surprised. Um, the folks at RAM make these mounts for a variety of different applications. The first time I ever heard of RAM, uh, I'm not quite sure. It could have been either from my pilot buddies who use them to mount their 
uh, aviation radios and aviation GPSs in their, their airplanes, or whether it was for my ham radio buddies who are using it for their ham radio rigs and GPSs inside their vehicles, or whether it was for my law enforcement friends in, at the LA County Sheriff's Department who use ram mounts for a variety of different things, including mounting those mobile data terminals inside their cars. But I've also seen folks using a variety of different RAM mounts for a variety of different applications on motorcycles as well. And so if you think about the amount of vibration that we get on our bicycles and compare that to what you're going to get uh, on a motorcycle, an off-road vehicle, military vehicles, RAM mounts are in use around the world and have been for about two decades. And so they're really good at vibration damping. And I think that that probably has to do a little bit with the materials that RAM uses, uh, whether it's their composites, um, their the rubber and the aluminum, uh, and the variety of different resins that they use. Uh, they seem to have good vibration damping characteristics. But the other thing is with this thumb screw that... Um, cinches up or tightens down on these ball and socket joints, you really don't need to put a lot of pressure on there in order for everything to be fixed right where you need it so that you get the right angle on your GoPro and so that it doesn't move around while you're riding. I've been using it for a number of rides now. It's probably been uh, well over a month that I've been using it. I was never able to get that kind of use out of a GoPro. At the most I ever got out of a GoPro handlebar mount was about a week. Uh, and so, so far, I'm very pleased with the RAM mount. Now, I will tell you, it is definitely beefier and larger, significantly larger than the standard GoPro handlebar mount. For me, it's a worthwhile trade-off. What I decided to do actually was mount it upside down so that the camera is actually underneath my handlebars, almost right in front of my head tube. And then that way, I really don't even notice it there uh, except when I need to go and take the camera off and uh, recharge the battery or grab the SD card out of it. So this is the Ram GoPro mount. Again, there are links in the show notes to where you can get uh, more information on the Ram mounts website or where you can buy one of these on Amazon. Uh, and by the way, I'd strongly recommend, look around the RAM mounts website. You're gonna be shocked at the variety of different applications there are for RAM mounts. And uh, whether it's for an iPhone or a radio or a GPS, or I mean, you can't imagine the number of, of options that they have. Go ahead and check it out. This is the GoPro camera adapter from RAM mount. I really like mine. Uh, if anything ever happens to it, if it ever doesn't last, I'll be sure to let you know. But so far in my testing, this thing has been rock solid, and I expect to get many more months and years out of my custom GoPro camera adapter from Ram Mounts. Next up, I thought I'd give you my impressions of a product that we talked about uh, during our Press Camp 2012 interviews, specifically the interview with the guys from Cyclops. Now, you know Cyclops for their power taps and for their trainers. And also, many of you know Cyclops for their Joule cycle computer. Now, I had been using the first version of the Joule cycle computer for a couple of years, and I'd always really liked it. What I really liked about it was the fact that not only was I getting the standard cycle computer data, things like heart rate and cadence and speed and, and those kinds of metrics, but I was also getting power 
And most importantly, as somebody who's used to using Training Peaks, I was able to get my training stress score and I was also able to get my intensity factor and it had a lot of memory. So that what I was able to do is I was able to compare today's ride to the ride from last week or for the last three weeks or to have actually an entire year's worth of data on my jewel so that I could track not only my performance, but also track my progress in my training. And it was a really nice device. I liked it a lot. It worked very, very well, not only outdoors on my bike, but it also worked really well indoors when I was doing an indoor training on my CompuTrainer because I was still able to get that power data off of my power meter on my bike. And then I was able to take the exact same computer in the same form of metrics and put that into training peaks so that even though I was training indoors, I was still using all of the same sensors and the same computer as I was when I was outdoors. And it was a really nice unit. Well, over the years, that unit has evolved initially into the Joule and now into the Joule GPS. Now, one of the first things that people notice that is different between that original Joule and today's Joule GPS is the size uh, it is smaller and lighter. Uh, also, that there's no joystick. The way that you would navigate through the various functions and menus on the original Jewel was by means of a four-way joystick. And then when you needed to select something, you pushed down on that joystick. Now, at some point, Cyclops and their engineers and their researchers decided that they no longer wanted to use the joystick. I suspect although I don't know this for a fact, I suspect that that's because over time, uh, the joystick came, became difficult to support. I noticed that on my original Jewel, I started to have issues with uh, making, for instance, a selection to the right and it not registering on the Jewel. So I think it was just getting worn down. I mean, look, I have the same thing on my iPhone 4. My center button, my home button on my iPhone 4 uh, isn't working as well as it did when it came out. So these things happen. So instead, what Cyclops did was they went to buttons on the side of the Jewel, uh, one for plus, one for minus, and one for select, and then a large power button uh, on the very front, which is also used for changing intervals during your ride. Otherwise, with the exception of one important feature, otherwise, the Jewel GPS remains very, very similar to the original Joule, you still get, I think it's 35 different metrics that you can display on three different customizable dashboard screens. My home screen on my Joule has three rows in two columns uh, and then a fourth row underneath so that if you select, for instance, let me tell you what's on my home screen. Now, my home screen is speed, cadence, power, heart rate, ride time, and percent grade. So for instance, if I select speed, then in that fourth row at the very bottom of the screen, uh, I'm getting my average speed and my maximum speed over a ride. Similarly, if I select cadence, I get average cadence and maximum cadence in that uh, display, that fourth display down at the bottom. But if I go to, for instance, percent grade. Then what I get down at the bottom in that detailed screen, that fourth row, is I get 
an average percent grade for my ride, and my total feet gained. Now, all of this can be configured and all of it can be done using Cyclops PowerAgent software on your Mac or your PC. You simply connect your Joule GPS to your computer using a mini USB cable, and that's also how you're able to charge it. So you can charge it through your USB uh, on your computer, or if you're like me and you're really geeky, uh, next to my desk here, I have a power outlet that also has two USB outlets. And so that's typically where I plug in my Joule GPS when it needs to be charged. Speaking of charging the Joule GPS, uh, I can tell you that from my experience, battery life is quite good. Uh, definitely more than enough power for an entire century. Not quite certain, well, depending on your speed, whether or not you're going to be able to get a double century out of the Joule GPS between charges. For reference, century for me, anywhere from five to six hours, depending on the amount of climbing. So you got to figure a double century for me is probably going to be 12 or 14 <laughs> once, once fatigue sets in. All right, so what is the main difference between the original Joule and the Joule GPS? Well, clearly, it's those last three letters I keep mentioning. The GPS, the Global Positioning Satellite Receiver that is in the Joule GPS. Uh, think of the Joule GPS as Cyclops response to the Garmin Edge 500. Now, Mrs. Fredcast is riding with an Edge 500. I'm riding with the Joule GPS. Uh, we compare our data. Clearly, they're using GPS. We're getting very, very similar, identical almost tracks. Our speed data when we're going off of the speed of the GPS is also identical in distance as well. Totally identical. So um, I'm liking the GPS in the Joule, being able to have the GPS, all the metrics that I can get from a Cyclops computer and uh, also being able to have those training stress, uh, intensity factor scores, and the fact that I've got the history uh, of the last up to a year on my Joule GPS. So I'm really pleased with using this on my rides. And of course, like most good cycle computers these days, the, GP, the Joule GPS is, of course, Ant Plus compatible. Now, I've got my Jewel GPS set up so that I can mount it on either my road bike or my mountain bike. The mounting system, again, very similar to the Garmin system, but if you, any of you have a Garmin Edge 500, for instance, you know that it has that quick-release mount where you put the computer into the mount and then you turn it um, uh, 90 degrees and it's locked in. So we would call that a quarter turn. Whereas on the Jewel GPS, it's a very similar mounting system, but instead of a quarter turn, it's a one-eighth turn. A minor difference, and by the way, simply because it's an eighth turn doesn't mean that it's any less stable uh, or any less secure on your bars. I've ridden this uh, now for up to two months. Yeah, two months now that I've been riding this, and I've never, ever had an issue with it falling out of the mount. It just simply doesn't seem like that's going to be possible. Now, you can put the mount on your bike, uh, the standard mount, either with zip ties or with O-ring loops, very similar to other mounting systems that you've seen on the market from other manufacturers, or they also have a, a mount that... Uh, uh, mounts is a hard mount onto your handlebar and then puts the Joule GPS out in front of your handlebars in front of your stem, keeping your handlebars clear and your stem clear for either other things that you want to mount there or simply for someplace to put your hands. Now, according to Cyclops, the Joule GPS on its own 
uh, without any sensors is $269 uh, suggested retail. If you'd like to buy it with a Cyclops heart rate strap, and you don't have to because if you've got a standard Ant Plus heart rate strap, it will certainly pair with it. But if you'd like to buy it with the Cyclops heart rate strap, it's $319 suggested retail. Now, I mentioned that I have my Joule GPS set up for my mountain bike and my road bike. Now, when I attach it to my road bike, I need to go into the menu system and let it know that I'm on my road bike. And then it automatically knows that it should be using my Ant Plus speed sensor on my chainstay, and it knows that it should be using my standard Ant Plus heart rate strap, and it knows that it should be using my power and cadence sensors built into my Quark power meter. Now, when I take it over to my mountain bike and I let the jewel know that I'm on the mountain bike, because I don't have speed sensors or cadence sensors or power meter on my mountain bike, it knows in that case to use GPS for speed and distance data. It knows not to even look for or read out cadence data. And it knows to look for my Cyclops power cal heart rate strap slash power meter to read that data out onto the screen. Okay, so this is where I have one, uh, well, I have one negative, at least from my perspective, when it comes to the PowerTap Joule GPS. You see, because one thing that's missing from the Joule GPS, as again, as compared to its closest competitor, which I believe is the Garmin Edge 500, there's no power button on the Joule GPS and no way to go through their menuing system to power the unit down. So what I've done multiple times now is I've uh, finished a mountain bike ride and I've typically maybe driven to a trail. I finished a mountain bike ride uh, take the computer off of my bike, throw it in the back of my car, put the bike up on top of the roof. By the time I get home and then go to download the data out of the Joule GPS, unless I have remembered to specifically stop and save the ride, then I'm going to get a ride longer by the amount of my drive. And even if I have remembered to stop and save the drive, uh, excuse me, the ride, then sometimes I'm ending up with two rides. I've got the actual ride itself and then my drive home. So that's a little bit of an annoyance. I would like to see, and, and it doesn't seem to me like it would be a big deal, although don't know for sure, I would like to see the ability to go into the menuing system and actually shut the system down. And I have a similar situation when I power it up in order to connect it to my computer uh, or maybe to charge it up and then I disconnect it from the computer or from the wall and sometimes I'll end up, well multiple times, I'll end up with on my computer, on my, my Jewel, I'll end up with two or three additional rides of like 0.1 miles as the GPS signal wanders around. So that's kind of a minor annoyance. A couple of other things, uh, some of which I know that they're going to be fixing and some of which, well, it's I think it's really more of a personal choice. Number one, uh, the time on my unit is wrong, uh, specifically because the Joule GPS does not have the ability when you're telling it what time zone you're in for configuring it for daylight saving time. So for instance, if I'm out riding at six o'clock at night, my Joule GPS is telling me that it's five o'clock at night. So that's a little bit of an annoyance. But I talked to the folks at Cyclops and they assured me that that is coming in a future version 
of the Juul firmware. So that's something that's going to go away. Not a big deal. Another thing that um, I think was really a design decision, and well, I think it's really more of personal preference. I kind of preferred the joystick. It definitely did start to wear out after a couple of years. But in this case, I think that this could have been a little bit more intuitive to use had they put the plus and minus, which are actually used as up and down keys, had they put the, for instance, the plus above the minus, instead of putting the minus on the left and the plus on the right, it would be much more intuitive to scroll through the menuing system. Because the way that it works now, if you want to go down, you hit plus, which is your right uh, button. And if you want to go up, you hit minus, which is your left button. And it just seems kind of weird to me to be going up and down, pushing buttons that are on the left and right. I've been using this for a couple of months now, and I'm going to be honest with you, my brain, and maybe it's just because I'm old, my brain simply has not adjusted to that. Another thing that's kind of an annoyance to me, and this is really minor and very nitpicky, and that is the fact that there is a nice, clear, I guess you would call it a crystal, um, a, a, a screen, a transparent screen over the basic computer, and then the LCD readout is placed behind that I'm going to say probably about four or five millimeters. And it makes for a very nice presentation. It looks really good. And yes, it's easy to read. However, when the sun is at certain angles, because the plus and minus markings for the buttons are actually printed on that upper crystal, what ends up happening is you get shadows of those pluses and minuses on your screen. And sometimes that obscures your readout. Now, once again, Maybe it's my older eyes, but it's just one of those little fit and finish annoyances that I think is always going to bother me. One other negative, and that is the fact that right now, for those of you who are Strava users, you're not going to be able to go directly from your Jewel GPS into Strava as you can with your Garmin device. As you know, those of you who are Strava users, we're going to talk about Strava here again in a moment. For those of you who are Strava users, you know that when you want to add a ride to Strava, you can literally connect it to your computer, go to the Strava website and click a button, and using Garmin Connect, it drags that file out of your Garmin and right onto the, the Strava website. Here, you need to connect your Jewel to your computer, open up the CycleOps Power Agent software, download the rides, and then once the rides have been downloaded, you then use the export function to export it as a Garmin.tcx Tango, Charlie, X-Ray file, and then you go to Strava and you do a file upload from your computer into Strava, and then everything works great. So that's really it. Those are really my only negatives. And to be honest with you, on balance, if I compare um, my, my feelings about the Cyclops Jewel GPS to my feelings about my Garmin Edge 500, Let's look at it. The prices are fairly similar. The, the functionality uh, and the features are also quite similar. However, for those of us who like to train with power and those of us who are interested in being able to get a detailed history, being able to get our TSS, our IF, our normalized power, and all those kinds of metrics so that we can compare our performance 
and our history. For me, I think that the edge, if you'll excuse the pun, goes to the Cyclops. There are a couple of minor annoyances. The interface is a little bit clunkier than the Garmin, but overall for the functionality and what I'm able to get out of this unit, I believe that if I'm going to compare the two and if I had to make a choice, my choice would be to go with the Cyclops. It's a really nice unit. Uh, once you get over those minor annoyances, I think you'll really like it as well. Go ahead and check it out. I've got links in the show notes to where you can find more information uh, at the Cyclops website. And I've also got a link in the show notes for uh, purchasing the Cyclops Jewel GPS on Amazon. It's a little bit less expensive than the uh, Cyclops suggested retail price. Once again, that's the Cyclops Jewel GPS. You'll find it on the handlebars of my bikes. Not everybody has a GPS device that has the kind of historical logging and performance tracking that is in the Cyclops Jewel GPS. And that's one of the reasons, just one, why a lot of you growing numbers every day, why a lot of you really like to use a service called Strava at www.strava.com. Now, I had the opportunity almost a year ago to interview the CEO of Strava, Michael Horvath. And before I talk to you about my feelings about Strava and how I'm using it these days, I thought you might like to hear the interview from Interbike 2011 with Michael Horvath, the CEO of Strava. I'm with Michael Horvath. He's the CEO of Strava. Now, Michael, I hear Strava nonstop these days. You came out of nowhere. Tell everybody the genesis of the company. Well, we got started because we were really avid cyclists and runners, uh, my co-founder and I, and we wanted to have a way we could really look at our performances with people we don't get to, to ride with and run with anymore, and that's we created Strava to be able to do that. So you can compare and compete with your friends even when you can't ride together and run together. So a lot of people have described it to me as social media for fitness tracking. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, that's a pretty good description. It's a heavy dose of social and just enough performance to make it serious, but we're not trying to replace anybody's sort of power output device, and we really want to make this fun and motivating. That's what we really are all about, is motivation. So when people go to your website, uh, what sort of experience can they expect? Well, for the individual, you get the basic stuff, you know, maps and stats, which you'd expect from any time you upload your data. But what we do that's unique is we are able to compare your time on a climb or a sprint with anyone who's ever done it before and show you a leaderboard without you having to push any buttons. You just upload the data. And that's what's really cool about Strava, and that's motivating. So if I do a climb and I came in 13th or 14th, I want next time I want to get into the top 10. And that's what makes it, you know, that drive to try to do your best the next time. And uh, what kind of devices does Strava work with? Well, uh, we, we try to work with all the major ones. We work with all the Garmin's. Uh, we work with uh, on many different iPhone and Android apps. We have our own iPhone and Android apps from Strava that we've built. And so we're really trying to make it as easy as possible to upload. It's our apps are free. Uh, the service itself is free. We have a, a paid plan and a free plan. Um, so we're trying to make it as all-encompassing as possible. What can people expect on the free plan versus the paid plan? Well, um, so unlimited uh, access to rides and ride data and runs and so forth on the on both plans. And what the, what you get on the on the paid plan is um, a more premium features, more more performance driven features, more uh, ability to drill down on the data to compare yourself against, say, people who weigh in the same weight class as you, not just the overall leaderboard. 
So uh, for the person who's really serious, that's what gives them that, that extra bit that they can, they can really get into it on. Yeah. So. What do you see for the future of Strava? Well, we really want to serve the athletes. So we're, we're going to be driven into places where we can take our basic technology. We're software guys. We're, we're software people. We want to build great technology that serves the athlete. But that'll take us into other places that meet their needs. Uh, we want to be able to address their needs around how do they choose the kind of gear they want to buy. And we capture a lot of information about gear that people are using. And we can make recommendations about who you ride like or run like. What are they using? And would you like to try their gear? Um, that's one example of where it's, you want to expand it out of just the performance-oriented stuff down to all the decisions that an athlete needs to make. So serving the athlete is the, is the name of the game. That's our mission. Some really cool features from a, a company that, to me and to a lot of, of the people watching, really came out of nowhere. Tell everybody again the URL of the site. It's Strava, S-T-R-A-V-A dot com. Okay, and one last question. Explain the name. It means to strive in Swedish. Strava. Well, Michael, thanks so much. Pleasure talking to you today. And this is David for Interbike TV. Now, Interbike 2011 was not my first introduction to Strava. I first heard about it actually at dealer camp uh, in June of 2011, uh, but I hadn't really dabbled much in it. And then, of course, I met Michael and played around with it a little bit. But at the time, to be honest with you, I really felt that Strava wasn't for me because I'm not the kind of person who wants to share how slow I am going up a hill or... Um, my performances with others. It's just not in my nature. It's not something that I want to do. And so actually, uh, as Strava has become more and more popular, and as more and more of you have talked to me about your love of Strava, I've seen tweets about it in emails and and more stories about Strava. And then recently we had the uh, discussion on the spokesman back in June about the lawsuit against Strava. Um, the, and you'll recall that that was the individual who was trying to maintain his status, his king of the mountain status on a particular segment in Strava, uh, and in so doing was tragically killed and his family is suing Strava. Not what this story is about, but as more and more of you talked to me about it, as it became more and more uh, into the forefront, I went on Facebook and I said to some of you, I, I don't get it. What is about Strava? Should I be using it? And and so many of you said, David, it's not about sharing with others if you don't want to. It's about using Strava as a way of comparing your performance against yourself. Now, in the review that I just did of the Cyclops Jewel GPS, I told you that's one of the features that I really like about that unit, that I don't have to go to my computer in order to compare my performance. I can look at today's ride versus the ride of last week versus the ride of last month or earlier this year. And that's something that I really like. But what Strava does is that Strava breaks your rides down into smaller segments where performance would be expected. Maybe it's a long straightaway. Maybe it's a climb or a particular, again, just a particular segment of your ride. And being able to compare your performance today versus your previous performances is very, very helpful. And so I took your advice, as you can tell, and I've been using Strava. Now I've kept my data private, as you can do. And that was something that was very important to me. So you have the opportunity, even in the free version, to be able to go into Strava and say, I don't want anybody to see my data. They may be able to see how I compare 
on a particular climb, but they're not going to be able to see all of my data. And so if I'm the KOM, well, maybe I want to boast about that. But if I'm 332nd out of 333 on a particular climb, I don't really want people to know about that. And by the way, that's typically me, but for the most part. I mean, remember, it is called the Fredcast after all. Um, I've been using it more and more. I find it very, very useful. And what's clear is that many of you find it useful as well. Many of my neighbors find it useful because you know what I've noticed? I'm curious to see if you found the same thing. On some of the more popular climbs here in and around Park City, you know, I've noticed start-finish lines that people have now painted onto those particular climbs. So for instance, there's one segment of a loop out here called Browns Canyon. And on the very last portion of that climb, there is a start line and a finish line. And I tracked it and those lines coincide with the segment and Strava. Same thing at the very beginning of that climb as well. Uh, for those of you who have ever ridden it, it's down by the Buffalo. They're just past the Buffalo and past the river there. There's a line that says start. And then when you get up to the top, just past the quarry, guess what? There's a finish line there as well. So many of you have found this useful. Here's the thing though. When I go into Strava uh, if I'm using a free version, remember there's two versions, as Michael mentioned, there's the free version and the premium version. On the free version, you have unlimited access to everything that's in Strava. You can upload activities as many as you want every month. You can look at the maps. You can get uh, an analysis of your speed and how you did against yourself. It'll tell you whether this was your personal best, whether this was your second best or your third best. It'll tell you if you have the best time on that segment of anybody who's ever done it. Uh, and you can set your privacy. You can follow people. You can allow other people to follow you. And something I really like when I travel, you have the ability to discover segments and rides within your area. To be honest with you, I have found that portion of the website to be a bit clunky because just when you find a segment you like, if you scroll around a little bit in the map or you zoom in or out, all of a sudden that segment disappears. And it's very difficult to get right back to that exact same spot on the map. And I'm sure you've, you've run into this as well if, you, you, if you've used Strava. So just be aware that that's there. One of the annoying things though is that I'm never going to be a king of the mountain no matter how fit I get uh, around here. And there's two reasons for that. Number one, there are a lot of pros who come to train here in Utah. Great example is Levi Leipheimer. When Levi Leipheimer won the penultimate stage of this year's tour of Utah, uh, he did it because he specifically said he has been coming to Park City and secretly training on that course specifically with the goal of winning that stage. Now, maybe it's that he wanted that bottle of High West whiskey that he got for winning the stage. No, it's, the, the point of the, the matter is there's a lot of pros who live here and a lot of pros who train here. So, okay, that's number one. If I buy the premium version, then I have the opportunity, as Michael said, to filter my results. And so, for instance, I can say, I only want people within my age group. I only want men within my age group. I only want men within my <clears throat> weight category within my age group. And you can, you can change up those metrics in order to compare yourself against others. But I've also noticed something else. You remember when I was talking to you, again, back in the Cyclops Jewel GPS review about how if I'm riding on my mountain bike and if I um, am not careful, I might upload a longer ride than I actually did on my bike. And part of that ride, that last portion, right, the drive home, could be me driving my car. Now, one of the roads here where I ride my road bike all the time uh, is Highway 224. 
So if I've gone off to a mountain bike ride at one of the resorts, one of the, the ski resorts, and now I'm driving home on Highway 224, a lot of sections there are 50 mile per hour speed limit. So maybe I'm going 50, maybe I'm going 55. And if that then gets uploaded into Strava, again, totally by, by error, and I don't notice it, all of a sudden I could be up there in the KOM ranks. And that happened to me twice. And what was interesting was I'm driving my car and I'm going 50 miles per hour and I'm still not the king of the mountain on that flat section of road where I'm telling you not even the pros are going 50 miles an hour. It's simply not possible. And so I'm clearly not the only one who's mistakenly uploading uh, segments that I shouldn't be uploading. Now, the nice thing in Strava is I can go in and I can disqualify myself from that segment, or as I've done in each case when I've found it, is I can then crop my ride, which I think is a great feature in Strava to be able to do that. But the bottom line is, it doesn't matter how hard I train, how fit I get, what kind of bike I'm, I'm riding, if I've got a tailwind and I'm riding on ice, I'm never going to be the king of the mountain there because there is extraneous bad data that's sitting there in Strava that needs to be cleaned up. And until that happens, I think a lot of these KOMs, quite frankly, are bogus. One other thing that I noticed, there's a climb here. It's a 15-mile climb, about 3,000-foot elevation gain uh, called Wolf Creek Pass. And I went and I did it with uh, Mrs. Fred Cast, and we had a great ride that day. And when I came back, I wanted to compare myself against others in Strava. Now, because perhaps because of this lawsuit that I mentioned earlier, Strava has the ability for you to go in and flag a particular route as dangerous, which is a good idea, so that that way you're not competing. For instance, on that downhill off of Wolf Creek Pass, again, 15 miles, 3,000 feet, you could, I mean, you could really go fast down that descent. And the last thing, I mean, from my perspective, that you want is to have people competing on that descent because it's going to get dangerous for people who, who might not have the skills in order to handle a 50 or 60 mile an hour descent on their bike. Great. That's wonderful. But when I came back and I plugged in my computer and uploaded that data into Strava, I wasn't able to find out how I did on that climb. I wasn't able to compare myself to others because someone had gone in and flagged that particular segment, that 15-mile segment, as being dangerous. It's a climb. It's not dangerous. It's actually a very nice road, and there's very, very few drivers on it, and it's a great place to ride. So that's another problem. That having been said, I guess I kind of have mixed feelings about Strava. I'm really not somebody who wants to compete against you. I really don't care how fast you are. And quite frankly, I don't want you to know how slow I am. Um, so I'm really not into that competitive aspect of mano a mano, you against me. I do like the aspect of being able to compare myself against myself on particular segments. And it makes me go faster on those segments. It makes me try harder and dig deeper and drill down as far as I can to try to get a better performance on those individual segments. And so now when I'm on my rides and I'm on a particular segment that I know that I want to get better on in Strava, I'm drilling it. And what's interesting is Mrs. Fredcast is noticing too. We finished a segment uh, recently. She's not on Strava. We got to the end and she said, oh, I was really trying to catch up to you, but I figured you were Strava-ing. So this has become a verb in our house. Strava is an interesting website. I think that there's a lot of evolution yet to come 
Uh, and so I'm enjoying it. I'm using it for myself to compare myself against myself, but I know a lot of people who are using it to compare themselves against others. I did a century over the weekend with Mrs. Fred Cast. Another friend of mine did it, and he started texting me about an hour after he got home saying, wow, there were people really going after it on this ride. I'm seeing them on Strava, and I'm looking at their performances, and that motivates people, and that's great. Whatever motivates you to get out on your bike and perform better, if it's if it's competing against others or competing against yourself, it's a good thing. If you have the discovery aspect, that's a great thing. And one last thing, as Michael mentioned, Strava has a great iPhone app uh, and a great Android app. So if you don't have a mapping GPS or a GPS unit on your handlebars, no worries. Use your smartphone, use the Strava app. It works really, really well. And then there's no uploading involved. And it'll tell you right when you finish your ride, whether or not you had any achievements, as Strava calls them, on that ride. And I really like that feature very, very much. I'm going to be doing some business travel next week. I'm probably going to be running because I'm not bringing a bike with me. I'm going to use Strava to try to find places to go running and to compare myself against the others in the area. I know I'm going to be slower because I'm not a runner. It's just my way of staying in shape when I'm out there. So go ahead and check it out. If you haven't already, it's interesting. Uh, let me know what you think of it. Let me know if, if you agree with any of the comments that I've made. It's www.strava.com. Many of us do our own bicycle maintenance in our garages and on our patios and our backyards. And when we do, there's a few things that come in extremely handy, and those are good oils, lubes, and cleaning products for our bicycles. And I was recently sent some products from a company that, honestly, I wasn't extremely familiar with. It wasn't necessarily a name that, to me, was well-known among a lot of bicycle enthusiasts, and that company is Motorex. Now, Motorex is a Swiss company been in business for almost 100 years, and it turns out that they're the largest independent crude oil refinery in Switzerland. And with their U.S. offices based in Minnesota, just outside of Minneapolis, they have really been making inroads into the bicycle industry. As a matter of fact, they're sponsoring teams like the Kelly Benefit Strategies team, Kenda Pro Cycling, and United Healthcare Pro Cycling team. So this is definitely no flash in the pan. I'm, to be honest with you, I, I hadn't used any Motorex products before. And so when they arrived, I was a bit skeptical, uh, but I decided that I was going to use them for, well, it's been now about the last month, month and a half that I've been using the Motorex products instead of the standard products that I normally use. I've got to say, I've been very pleased with the results. Now, the first product from Motorex that I had the opportunity to use was their Bike Clean Spray. Now, Mrs. Fredcast had been out riding. Um, it was it had been a little bit rainy and and prior to that a bit dusty, and her bike was really filthy. We were getting ready for a long ride, and so I thought I'd give her bike uh, a cleaning. And so I brought out Bike Clean, and, and it's the kind of product where you spray it on and you leave it on and allow it to do its work. And then you literally just get the bike a little bit wet with water and the dirt comes 
really comes off quite quite easily. It also uh, includes a bit of a degreaser so that it will also clean your chain uh, and a lot of those greasy bits around the bottom bracket and your headset and your hubs that can just really start to look kind of gunky after a while without the need for a heavy duty degreasing agent. So literally, I just sprayed it on the bike, uh, let it sit there for five minutes and then gently hose the bike down, use the sponge in a couple of areas, but for the most part, it really got the bike very clean. Now, my initial concern was whether or not I'd be able to use it on my bike. Um, this is Fred Caster's riding an aluminum bike. I'm riding a carbon fiber bike. And whether or not it was okay with carbon fiber, Motorex assures me that their uh, bike clean product and their bike shine product, which is the one I used after that, uh, are both carbon tested. Now, Bike Shine similarly is also a spray. Well, uh, Bike Clean is a pump spray. Bike Shine is an aerosol spray. And really, I think it was originally developed for display bikes. So for instance, if you've got a store and you want to put a bike in the window and you really want it just to, to shine and not to attract dust, you would use Bike Shine. But you know, I mean, you know, you're getting ready for a century ride or a race and you really want your bike to look just gorgeous. Bike Shine does the job as well. And because it's got some anti-static properties, it also uh, gives you a, a nice finish to help repel dirt and mud while you're riding as well. So another nice product that I use from them. Another product I received from Motorex is their Easy Clean uh, degreaser. I use this on uh, chains and derailleurs. Uh, it's biodegradable like a lot of the other chain degreasers that are out there on the market seem to really cut through uh, the oil and grime as expected. But one of the things that was unique about it is because Motorex is making both the degreaser and their lubes, they offer both a, a dry lube and a wet lube. Again, the dry lube would be for dry conditions and the wet lube, guess what, for wet conditions. One of the things I really like is, is a lot of times when you use a degreaser, you need to really wait for it to dry and dissipate, dissipate before you're able to put the lube on your chain. Motorex assures their customers that you'll be able to use the degreaser on the chain and then Im immediately go ahead and put the chain lube on. I tried it, seemed to work really well. One thing though, I did use their dry lube recently uh, and was very um, conservative about the amount of lube that I was putting on my chain and then really good about uh, letting it soak in and then wipe off. And if you do that properly with most lubes, uh, you're not going to end up with, you know, that chain ring mark on your calf. Uh, but one of the things that I noticed about the Motorex lube was that I really needed to pay attention to making sure that I really did a, a, a really good job of wiping down the chain before I went on a ride. Otherwise, I was going to end up with that telltale mark more easily uh, on my calf than I would with other products. Now, Motorex also sent me their grease product. Uh, I've given it a try just for uh, putting pedals onto a frame, so it's hard to tell right now uh, my reaction to that. Bottom line is, I was very impressed with the Motorex products, especially considering I'd never really used any of their products before. I know that some of you may have used them uh, for uh, hydraulic brakes uh, or for uh, your forks, uh, but I'd never really used Motorex products before. I'd been using a lot of other products uh, for many other years with brand names that just I've known a lot longer. But 
I've been impressed. I think the MotorX products did a good job, and I think that they provide a really good alternative, uh, perhaps to some of the other products that are on the market, some of the other ones that you have seen out there. And I like the fact that they're coming directly from a company who has experience uh, in the science and in the production of oils and solvents and greases and lubes. I, I think that that's really important, sort of that cutting out the middleman uh, kind of an aspect to it. So I like the MotorX products. Uh, I'll be continuing to use them uh, as long as I've got them in my shop and uh, more than likely a uh, possibility that I'll be reordering them afterwards as well. So go ahead and check it out. I've got links in the show notes to the MotorX website as well as to where you can find MotorX on Amazon. And finally, speaking of products, I have one more product I want to tell you about, and it's something I've told you about before. I have a very limited quantity of Fredcast jerseys available. Once they're gone, they're gone. At the moment, I have um, large size available, and that is it. And then once they're gone, we're going to start designing a new jersey for 2013. So if you want to get the last of its kind, 2011-2012 Team Fredcast jerseys, Get them while you can. I've just got a couple of left. If you don't have one, now's the time to show your friends and riding buddies who hammers just a little bit harder, who enjoys the ride, and yeah, who's a Fred. Once again, check it out, www.thefredcast.com slash store. And speaking of products, what better place to go get new products for all of your cycling needs than Jensen USA. We really want to thank Jensen USA for their support of the Fredcast. And of course, thank you for supporting Jensen USA. Anytime you're looking for anything for your bike or for cycling apparel or for all your cycling needs, remember, you're going to find a great selection, incredible pricing, and unparalleled customer service at Jensen USA. Just go to JensenUSA.com slash the Fredcast, and we thank them once again for their support. And with that, that's going to do it for this second episode of the week of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. Remember, you can stay in touch with the Fredcast at all times. Lots of information at our website at www.thefredcast.com, including that new link on the right-hand side of the page that says send a voice message. Simply click that and you'll be able to send a voice message directly into my inbox or Pick up your phone and dial 661-513-FRED. That's 661-513-3733. Or if you'd like to send me an email, go ahead and do it. The email address is thefredcast at gmail.com. Or friend us on Facebook or follow along on Twitter. The handle on Twitter is simply FredCast. And with that, you know what time it is. That's right. It's time for Pod Safe Cycling Music, something we've been doing since show number one, almost seven years ago. But this week's Pod Safe Cycling Music was chosen specifically for the Fredcast by IndoorCyclingMusic.com. And that's the home of the free weekly featured track and premium members' content of weekly 90 and 30 minute cardio mixes and monthly 90 minute cardio mixes to get the world moving. For more information, go to www.indoorcyclingmusic.com. This show's Podsafe Cycling Music is by the artist Design and the Opposite, and it's entitled Slow Down, Take It Easy. That's what I'm going to do this weekend. It's a holiday weekend after I get the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast done tomorrow morning. 
I think this one is going to be a bit contentious because, you know, there's nothing to talk about in the world of cycling, right? Go ahead and I hope that you'll give it a listen. It's at www.the-spokesmen.com. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. But between this show and the next, enjoy the music. But most of all, enjoy the ride. Your mind.